Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. We're in the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And as we're there, let's not forget that we are here. We've arrived at Luke chapter 19 as a result of just walking through the best we can, a chronological view of the ministry, the life, the story of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And as we do that, and as we have been doing that, we have made mention on more than one occasion that from the very beginning of not just the life of Christ, but his ministry, and then all the way throughout Jerusalem, loomed large. Not just because it was the center of the religious world in that day, but because Jesus was going to go there, and even as he has made it known to his disciples more than one time, at least three in the book of Mark alone, he's going to go there, be handed over, tortured, tormented, brutalized, die for the sins of the world on a cross. We can never come across the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus without remembering what's before him and where it is that he is going. At the same time, it's also worth remembering what's gone, what's happened behind him. Specifically, if you're just cruising along through the story, you would notice that the majority of those who seemed to welcome Jesus with open arms were not necessarily his Jewish brethren. The majority of those who seemed to welcome Jesus with open arms We're not necessarily the most important people in society. The majority of those who welcomed Jesus with open arms were not necessarily the poster people for morality. You see, I mention that because that only caused confusion for religious Israel who believed that there was no way that the Lord could be the Messiah for a bunch of reasons, one of which was that he hung out with, embraced, engaged, and accepted all the wrong people. Not only that, there is no way in the world that the Messiah that we are expecting, wanting, wanting, expecting, wanting, looking for, There's no way he would say the things that Jesus has said. There is no way that the Messiah would come and correct us. We believe that our Messiah will come and celebrate us. Because we have nothing to do with those who are lost. So it's important for us to remember where Jesus has been and where he's going because it helps us to understand if you will, in stereo, the reality of the story. I'm thankful that we read the scriptures every Sunday morning, formally, officially. I'm grateful 
that on every single morning, one of our elders gets up and reads the scriptures. I'm grateful that we're a church that is not neglecting the public reading of the scriptures. Spiritually, I'm really glad for that. Practically, helps save some time. I'm not wrong, huh? There you go. I have no idea what accent that was. It was like four different all in one. So because we have actually read the story together this morning, we already know at this point, we're already thinking about a Bible story that many, maybe not all, but many people are really familiar with. How many of you, just out of curiosity, I promise not to sing it, but how many of you thought about a little Sunday school song? Oh, anybody want to? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know I'm just going to use that against you. <laughs> Your willingness to spontaneously break out in a song that I might add makes you look a little silly. We have it on video. Is remarkable. And you should keep that in mind as we get to the end of the sermon. Where I believe we'll be challenged by the Lord to spontaneously break out into our world that is full of lost souls and share the love of God. See, we're familiar with the story, and so on one sense, I guarantee you, there's people that maybe even as Paul read the passage, there might be people that who are like, oh, I know where this is going. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was small in stature. The, the Bible tells us that. I suggest to you there might be more to that. But on surface level, we always, according to the song, go right to the fact that he was short, couldn't see over the crowd. So he does what he can. He doesn't let the crowd stop him. He does what he can. He climbs up into a sycamore tree. The detail with which Dr. Luke writes is amazing. Climbs up into a sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus who was passing by. And so easily, for a lot of us, we would then know that, well, so I imagine that where we're going to go with this and what we're going to do is we're going to be challenged to make sure that we as a people don't allow any part of our smallish stature, whether that's physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, or whatever, we can't let any of that hold us back from seeing Jesus. Amen? But I got to tell you, I think there's way more. There's way more. Let's just start walking through it. I think it's a fantastic passage. First of all, we have the backdrop in uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 2. It says, he, Jesus, entered Jericho. Is anybody, like, blown away that Jericho's rebuilt? 
you go back to the Old Testament, Jericho, the walls of Jericho fell. And God said that anybody who rebuilt that town would be cursed. And here it is again. So part of me is like, hmm, hold on. Does God not keep his word? Well, no, if you go back to the scriptures in the Old Testament, you'll find out that God did keep his word even as the town was trying to be rebuilt on its very same foundation. There was a curse that happened. On the other hand, here we have Jesus walking through the town of Jericho. Let's not forget that it's filled with people. And there's a picture of not only does God keep his word, but he does so even graciously. So Jesus is walking through Jericho. And behold, remember he's on his way to Jerusalem. And Jericho's not that far away from the town or the city of Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' name means pure. I only bring that up because it's ironic. His name means pure. Uh, 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 that'll make more sense as you walk through it. Allow that reality of what his name means to kind of float around in that brain of yours. And apply it. Look at some of the things that happened as a result. So, And he was a chief tax collector who was rich. He was a chief tax collector, which means this. He oversaw a number of not chief tax collectors who worked in the region. And Luke tells us, without a doubt, in case we were wondering, as a result of what he did, he was wealthy. This is not the first time in recent weeks we've heard the idea of rich people being brought up. Just a few weeks ago, Jesus himself said that it is very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. But don't forget, Zacchaeus' name means pure. We'll get there. Not only was he rich and wealthy because he was a tax collector, there's another side to that coin. The other side to that coin is this. His own people saw him as a traitor to Israel. Because as a chief tax collector, he was working for their enemies. He was working for Rome. He had turned his back on his people for financial gain. And not just a little financial gain. Because remember, the tax collectors collected required amounts, and then anything above and beyond, they kept. And there was no ceiling, so to speak. You could take as much as you could take from the people. Does that make sense? His name means pure, so it's confusing. Except when you realize he was purely invested in what he was doing. See, it works both ways. Which is interesting, isn't it? So, he was working for the Romans. He was a wealthy man who had been considered by his people a traitor. And not just a traitor, and not just a sinner, but the worst kind from their perspective. Because he profited by the suffering and from the suffering of his own people. So it's important for us. I think we should add a few lyrics to the tune. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was hated by everyone. 
tried to walk and so he could see Jesus, but everybody was giving him in the elbow. You know what I mean? And before Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down, the rest of his people said, Zacchaeus, you go away. Anybody want to rewrite it for me? You rewrite, rewrite it right now, and we'll go sing it in the Sunday school class. The only problem is you're going to have to unpack that with your children. <laughs> See, we've got to take an accurate look at the word of God, don't we? Not just a Sunday school view, but a theological view. We're grown-ups, so let's grow up into the passage. He was hated. He was, to use biblical language, he was as lost as an Israelite could be lost. He was as lost as lost could be. But something was stirring. Did you get that? He was as lost as lost could be, but something was stirring. And let me add to that, not only was something stirring, but it's very probable that something was stirring because someone was stirring it up. He, did I mention he was as lost as lost can be Yet something was stirring because someone was stirring it up. By this time, Jesus had been stirring things up in this region for some three years. And Zacchaeus was aware of it. Now, people debate <clears throat> as to his motive for climbing up in that tree. We connect it immediately. I don't know about you, but if we just sing the kids' version of the song, not the one I remastered. But if we just sing the kids' version of the song, we connect his wanting to go up into that sycamore tree to see Jesus with getting wanting to be saved. I suggest I'm not so sure what his motive is. I think there's a lot of speculation that has to happen there. We do know the rest of the story, which we'll get there. But originally, why he went up into that tree, we're just simply told he heard that Jesus was passing by and he wanted to see him. He wanted to visibly look at him. He wanted to see who he was. He wanted to see if he might actually be the Messiah. And I got to tell you, from Zacchaeus' Jewish background, what he most likely thought he was going to see was one who was head and shoulders above everybody else. Hair kept real nice. Dressed in the best. Surrounded by those who were making sure that everybody knew that the one that they were, that they were leading on, the one that they were bringing about, was really important. And instead what Zacchaeus would have saw was someone like the prophets, Isaiah, told them that they would see. Somebody that wouldn't be noticeable. Was common, not outstanding, but ordinary looking. So you have to think these things through, but we're told in verse 3 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. <laughs> I just, just so you know, I just wrote down a thought. Here we have a small man unable to see 
also because he had a small stature among his people. He was not well liked. See, the word stature is not just a physical descriptor. It can describe a lot of different things. And I suggest in this passage, it describes a lot of different things. Yes, he was probably small. But add to that. Like we just see it, oh, the poor guy, he was just a poor little guy who couldn't see anything. And I don't know why we say that like a leprechaun, but we do. He was just a poor little guy who couldn't see anything. And we forget to apply the word stature to all the rest of it, which means this. He had no reputation among his brethren because of the way he was living his life. It's important for us to never forget that the way we live our life matters. And it doesn't just matter to the Lord above us. It, rem- it matters to people around us. And because of the way he was living his life, he was a small man who had a very small reputation among his people. There was no way in the world he was going to be able to get, nudge, work his way to the front of that crowd that was there waiting for Jesus to pass by. There's no way in the world. First of all, he wasn't very big. Second of all, more importantly, they wouldn't have let him because they didn't want him. They didn't like him. They didn't need him. So what does Zacchaeus do? So he goes and he climbs up into a tree so that he can see Jesus. Here's where it gets amazing. It says in verse 4 that he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And, verse 5, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. We sing the song. We're familiar with the moment. Even as we're reading the passage, we're like, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. And I sing it like Gilligan's Island. I'm going to your house today. Anyone? Thank you. I'm just making sure I'm not crazy. So that's when we sing it. And because we sing it, because we're familiar with the Sunday school stories about it, we tend to forget about the cultural reality, and this would have dropped everybody's jaw. Nobody in that moment would have expected Jesus to say, Zacchaeus, you come down. Some would have expected Jesus to notice him. Some standing on the sidelines, all judgmental, noticing that Zacchaeus has climbed up into a tree away from the crowd. And he's lucky because if he was down here, I'm likely to give him a black eye as much as I am my space in line. But he's good lucky, good darn lucky that he's up there. I don't know how they talked. But you get the point. And I'll bet when the Lord sees him, he's going to reprimand him. Because he's a traitor to our nation. And he's been lying, cheating, and stealing from our people. Oh, I can't wait for Jesus to take notice of him. Some would have thought that. Others would have expected Jesus to ignore him altogether. Why? Because the lostness of Zacchaeus' lostness was too far gone to be found. In their minds, let me put it practically, not preachy. In their minds, there's no way he could be found because his sin was too grave. He's too far gone. He's done too many wrong things to too many people. So some in the crowd are thinking, yeah, I hope he notices him and corrects his terrible behavior. 
Others would have said, yeah, there's no way he'll notice him because he's too lost to be found. And so when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down in that split second. The one who said, yeah, I hope that, that person's probably hoping here it is. He's going to get his comeuppance, whatever that means. I'll calm down. He's going to get what he deserves. I don't know if he's the Messiah or not, but he is a religious rabbi. And so maybe he can speak some sense into this little man. Nobody expected Jesus to say, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. There's no, listen. If we were thinking that the person who was judgmental about Zacchaeus' lostness might think, yeah, it's going to take him to his house, to the back porch, give him a whooping. That's not at all. In their culture, what Jesus does blows their mind because when he says, I must stay at your house, we're talking about an intimate, kindly hearted visit. We're talking about a cultural reality that their houses were open as a form of acceptance. Right? This is why everybody gets mad. Look at what happens. So verse 6, he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. We'll get to that in a minute. Remember, his name is pure. And he receives Jesus joyfully. Listen, we could preach on that all day long, but I think all the preaching that we've done to this far seems to suggest that there's reason why Zacchaeus would receive Jesus joyfully. He gave him the time of day. Moving on. And when they saw it, we're supposed to understand that they refers to the religious people who were witnessing all of that. And don't forget that their dinners were public. They weren't necessarily private. They probably were eating. And Zacchaeus was a rich man, so he had quite the place that probably included an outdoor courtyard where they would have gathered for communal meals and a courtyard that was designed in such a way that the most important people had the most important spaces, but along the outskirts and the edges, it was open and public for people to take notice of. And so the people, religious Israel, they notice what's going on, and they grumble. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And let me just suggest to you that he has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner, is English, and it lacks the ability to communicate the anger and the frustration and the feelings that they really had. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And they're grumbling about it because remember, from their perspective, Zacchaeus was far too lost to be found and his lostness was deplorable. So, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, up to half of my goods I'll give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I don't know what happened. I don't know the details. I don't know if at some point during the dinner there was an altar call and Zacchaeus was first. I, I, I don't know. All I know is this, Zacchaeus was in the presence of Jesus 
the Savior and Lord of the world, the one who himself is going to say, I have come to seek and save the lost. He's in the presence. You have a rich man in the presence of the one who said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And something's going on, stirring within Zacchaeus the whole time. I do not know what happened. I don't know the process, and we're probably better off because of it. Because if we knew the process, we'd turn it into a formula and require it of everyone in order to become a Jesus person. But what we don't, we don't know the process. We don't know what happened. We don't know what the conversations are. Which is a little frustrating, don't you know? Because Luke, the writer of the book, is known to be the most detailed of the gospel writers. Let's go, Luke. You could have dropped Jericho and given me more of the conversation. Yes? Anyone? But what I do know is something happened to Zacchaeus. Let's just stick to the passage. We don't have to speculate anything. Something happened in the presence of Jesus that caused an about face in his life. It caused an absolute willingness to change the trajectory and the direction and the style of Zacchaeus' life. Lord, if I've defrauded anyone, now really, some people have attacked us and said that Zacchaeus is trying to just, no, 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 no. The original language indicates that he's using that phrase as a way, like they did in their culture, as a way of saying, I've defrauded people. And if there's anyone that I've done that to, in other words, there is, I will make restitution. And I won't just make the Old Testament kind of restitution, I'll do it times four. Are you with me? And not only that, Lord, I will give half of my goods to the poor. I don't know what happened, but I do know this. According to Jesus, salvation, which starts with a person, visited that house that day. And with salvation, which starts with a person, not you, not me, but Jesus, is present, things get stirred up, rearranged, changed, reoriented, reprioritized, and made different. Once again, I'm glad we don't know the formula. Because it allows us to stand back and let God be God. Are you with me? And we don't have to manhandle any of the ways that he mysteriously does things. We can just stand back and go, what is going on? And then somebody would say, well, the Lord. And we would say, amazing, let's sing a song. Right? So then Jesus responds and he says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. That's an important phrase. We'll get to it in just one second. I've said that we're going to get to a lot of things in just a second, huh? And are you wondering if we're going to have enough time? I'm just going to tell you right now, we're not. I'm just going to make sure that we get to the important ones. Prioritize. But Jesus says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. Now, don't misread the whole passage. Don't read it like some have in the past who see Zacchaeus did a good thing 
therefore God accepted him. That is not what happened. I don't know what happened, but I do know that salvation comes by faith and faith comes by hearing. I do know that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone. So I know that. I, I tend to believe I fall on the side that something stirred. The presence of the Savior affected Zacchaeus in such a way that as a result of being stirred by the Savior, his lifestyle changed. Not as the requirement. Are you with me? It's a very important point. The next important point is this. Jesus says, for he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Did you guys remember that just a few minutes ago, I made the point that Zacchaeus, from according to his Israel, Israelite brethren, Zacchaeus was as lost as you could be. So far lost, check this out, so far lost that they would have considered him an Israelite no more. That he was no longer a part of a very important covenant that was built on faith. He was no longer, according to everybody, what religious Israel, according to everybody who was grumbling that Jesus would dare go and dine with such a sinner, they're grumbling because they didn't believe that because of Zacchaeus' lostness, they didn't believe that he was part of religious Israel anymore. He was no longer a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And look at what Jesus says. Oh, you got Bible nerds right now should be rejoicing, <laughs> right? Now, some of you are like, but I thought this was just about the song. No, it's about the Bible. And I might add, it's not even primarily about Zacchaeus. It's about Jesus. And look at what Jesus does. Salvation has come to his house today since he was a lost son of Abraham. He is a part of the covenant of Abraham. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant was built on faith. Abraham believed God before he knew where he was going. Abraham believed God before his wife could have a baby. Abraham believed God before his name was Abraham. <laughs> Go look it up, Genesis. You'll see it. He's a lost son of Abraham. Look at what Jesus is doing. Jesus is restoring him to something greater than just religious Israel in that day. He's restoring him to faith. And then he declares, for I, the son of man, came to seek and save the lost, which, by the way, makes for great calligraphy posters that we can buy at overpriced knickknack stores and post on our walls right next to the gather signs. If you have a gather sign in your house, no judgment, I have a big sign that says humble. Some of you are thinking, does he really? And some of you have been to my house, and you can confirm, yes, he does. And he proudfully takes pictures underneath it. Can we Bible study for just a minute? Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. And, and I'm turning to Ezekiel chapter 34, not just because my kids called Ezekiel. 
This is not all about me. I'm turning to Ezekiel chapter 34 because it's absolutely amazing. Look at what Ezekiel chapter 34. Remember, Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet. Ezekiel is saying things about the coming Messiah in chapter 34. Years and 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 years before they would ever happen. And it's connected to the Abrahamic covenant, seeking and saving the lost. Look at what happens. Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to read the Bible. You okay with that? I would say we're going to read twice as much as we normally do, so next week we won't read as much, but that's not going to happen. We're just going to keep reading the Bible a lot. And it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, came to Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherd of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel. Did you remember that Jesus called himself the good shepherd? Don't forget that. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The people, Israel's leaders, are being prophesied about that there will come a time where they don't care about the people. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountain. And on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search and seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely, as the Lord God, surely, because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I, listen, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. He continues, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on that day of clouds and of thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. When he says, I'll bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, you got to remember those are Gentile peoples and Gentile countries that Israel would have considered too far lost to be found. And he says, and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. Do you notice that Jesus is having dinner with Zacchaeus? I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall I be their grazing, shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. For 30 years, I have memorized the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and neglected to embrace the reality 
of what he wanted to do in the world around me, not just with me. Maybe, maybe it would be worth noticing that according to this passage, the one who came to seek and save the lost notices those who are looking to see the one who came to seek and save the lost. The world is full of people like Zacchaeus. It's full of people that sadly, God's people have decided for one reason or another that because of the condition of their lostness, they're too far lost to be found. And this passage challenges that notion. Did I mention that in Zacchaeus' day, he was considered far too lost to be found? And Jesus looked for him, took notice of him, and acknowledged him, and invited him into an intimate moment with him. And then the presence of Jesus changed everything. While we might prefer to not notice those who are lost because of the state or the details surrounding their lostness, we should never forget that the one who came to seek and save the lost could actually be wanting to take notice of the lost through us, and might I add, who used to be just as lost. Here's what I mean. There is a lot, I'm just, I mean, it's church, so I'm going to use a church word. There's a lot of sin in our world. Notice I said sin. Because there's a lot of sin in our world, it makes those who are doing the sin undesirable. I'm sad to admit that I have seen people in our world, even recently, that I have deemed so far lost I don't ever know how they could be found because of the details surrounding their lostness. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a behavior issue. Maybe their lostness has to do with something that I find annoying. Maybe their lostness has to do with the reality that they are failing to keep up a moral standard that we Christians believe that everybody should keep up without realizing that, number one, they can't keep a standard that they can't keep because they don't know Jesus. It doesn't let them off the hook, but it does offer an explanation and open the door for grace. Number two, may I add, we couldn't either. Because here's where I went. <laughs> Maybe the Lord wants me to be like Lloyd. Now you might be thinking, I didn't read Lloyd. It doesn't seem like a biblical name. <laughs> Lloyd took notice of me 
when I was as lost as lost can be. Like trashy, nasty, smelly, ugly, lost. I'll spare you any more details other than that, but let your imagination run wild. And Lloyd, on behalf of the Lord Jesus, looked at me and said, I know you. He didn't say that. It wasn't that dramatic. (laughs) But the gist of what his relationship with me was like, I know you, and I know there's something bigger and better going on here. And let me tell you about my Lord. And I was like, get away from me, you religious nutcase. That's how lost I was. But Lloyd refused to look away because of the details of my lostness. And they bugged him. One day when I knew what was going on, that I was just going, that Lloyd wanted me to become what I believed to be was just another notch on his salvation belt, which was not the truth, just the way I interpreted it. But one day when I was still confused about it, I said, hey, Lloyd, I don't have, can you give me a ride home from work? I worked with Lloyd. Lloyd gave me a ride home. And I said, hey, Lloyd, you want to come in? And Lloyd came in, and I knew darn good and well that the coffee table was stacked with all kinds of things with, that Lloyd would find absolutely morally reprehensible. And I did it on purpose. Because I knew Everybody walks away, looks away, and goes away because of our lostness. And I then therefore decided I'll push him away because if I push him away, he didn't walk away. He didn't leave me. I left him. And the guy wouldn't leave. (laughs) He just kept staying. Maybe Lloyd will be at work today so I don't have to hear a gospel lecture at lunch. Which, by the way, now I could sue the company and own it, but that's another matter. And Lloyd just kept showing up. I've shared with you the moment that I accepted Christ and got baptized. It was after a terrible night, and I did so. And I've shared with you that my baptism story is more embarrassing than beautiful. Spiritually, it's beautiful. Practically, it was super embarrassing. I was wearing white shorts and blue underwear. I know that's a lot of detail, don't imagine it, but you know what happens to white material when it gets wet. It becomes see-through. And I came up out of the water and I immediately knew, based on the reactions of those closest to me. (laughs) And no sooner than I was about to be ashamed of myself all over again, A guy named Lloyd came up and wrapped me with the biggest towel I had ever experienced in my life. And he gave me a hug. And he said, I've known all along. Not I've known all along that you would do this. I've known all along that God would love you. You see, maybe God wants us to not be offended by the lostness of the lost. And I know some of the lostness is offensive. And it's deplorable. And it's horrible. But maybe he just wants to remember that he's come to seek and save the lost. And maybe he wants to do that through you and me. Maybe we could be a little more like Jesus using a guy named Lloyd. 
might also be worth noting, seeing that the one who came to seek and save the lost was not overwhelmed by the lostness of the last of the lost and was actually willing and able to overwhelm it. Everybody else was overwhelmed by Zacchaeus' sin. Everybody. So much so, there's no way he can be saved. So much so, there's no way I'm hanging out with him. So much so, that there's no way that I can make friends with the enemy. No. And yet Jesus is not overwhelmed by it at all. Instead, overwhelms it. His presence overwhelms sin. Did you know this? How do I know? Because Zacchaeus stood up in the middle of the dinner and did what Zacchaeus would have never done except for the presence of Jesus. He stood up and he says, I'm going to give half of everything I have, which was a lot of halves. That came out better than I meant it. I'm going to give half of what I have away, and if I defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Nobody, they, they, they don't do that then. They don't do that now. And you can put, chalk it up to like Zacchaeus being a good disciple. I don't know if you can be called a good disciple within the first three minutes of your discipleship. I don't know if it works that way. What I do know is Zacchaeus in the first three minutes of his discipleship was in the presence of the one that his discipleship was about. And that one can overwhelm everything that needs to be overwhelmed for the glory of God in Christ. Amen? So one of the things that we got to understand is not only for us personally, but for other people, we have to make space for God to overwhelm people's sins. <laughs> We're not the sin overwhelmer. We're not the sin, like, like all we got to do is be present for people and let the reality, the miraculous, supernatural working power of God work through us in order that people might be overwhelmed by the love of God to the point that it changes their lifestyle. Now, just so you know, when I might add, if we're going to be there, let's make sure we're there with a changed lifestyle. Amen? It makes it more believable. We shouldn't ever witness in a way, well, don't do what I do, just do what I'm telling you. Like, it's horrible. We have to remember, man, what if, listen, while the lostness of the, of the loss can be overwhelming to us, we must allow space for the one who came to seek and save the loss to overwhelm the very lostness that we might find overwhelming. Just let him be. Let's keep our faith fostered and our belief bolstered so that we can stand in the gap on behalf of those whose lostness has taken away their ability to stand at all. That's a good sentence. I forgot I wrote it. People are being crushed under the weight of their sin and lostness right now. Let's stand in the gap on behalf of them, just like somebody stood in the gap on behalf of us. Lastly, and I'll leave you with this, and we'll sing and let you go home. When the one who came to seek and save the lost finds one who is lost, he saves them, gives them a new heart, transforms their lifestyle. Notice, I said lifestyle. I didn't just say life. Life is too easy. It's too easy for us to accept it and embrace it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus wants to transform my life, and he's doing it. No, let's, go, let's, let's get nitty and gritty and dirty with it. Dirty just meaning the reality of life. He can transform your life style. That the way that you live changes. The way that I live changes. While the one who came to seek in the lost may have found us and saved us yesterday, we must still be willing to allow Jesus 
to give us a new heart and transform our lifestyles today. Thank you for listening. For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.